Hello, and welcome to The Pillar Diaries, episode number five, featuring Sister Jamie McCool. Sister Jamie serves as the First Lady and Administrator to the First Apostolic Church of Knoxville, Tennessee. She has been in ministry with her husband, Brother Mark McCool, for 40 years. She has served in their Christian school and daycare for over 20. Her passion about her ministry and her hunger to best serve her saints and the others around her by understanding their different diversities and cultures is her very heartbeat. She shares great wisdom for those walking in ministry and to the upcoming generation about how to best represent our Lord and Jesus to a lost and dying world. Sister Jamie is a beautiful example of grace and humility. Let her words challenge your walk with the Lord. These women are our pillars and their stories are our monuments. If we ever fail to tell their stories, what they have built will crumble. These are their diaries. Well, when I thought about this question, I thought, you know, it really began at birth because I have a long heritage back through the years of being apostolic. I had a grandmother who I remember as a child, if her sleeve was above her elbow, she would sew material on her sleeve to make it below her elbow. And then her mother was apostolic as well. So on my mother's side, I am fourth generation. Now my dad, and I'll get to him in a minute, he had no apostolic background. But um, my great-grandmother was a Wiggins, and then my grandmother was a Woodyard, which is really pronounced Woodyard in the Indian vernacular. And they started, she was part of the Dayton Church, Brother Coleman's, which is now Brother Friends. She was a charter member of that Jesus Name Pentecostal Church years and years ago. And um, that's where my mom had her start. So really thinking about it, I was kind of born into it in a way. But then mom took us to church growing up over the years and I had two sisters and she took us to church and dad just didn't go. Not saying he was not a good father. He played poker, he drank an occasional beer, he, he um, but he was always he was a factory worker, very, very down the road, very straight laced. You were it was black or it was white, nothing in between. And my mom would take us to church for years, and he kind of pulled the other way some, and it affected my sister some. My oldest sister not so much as my middle sister, and her name was her name was Sherry. She comes to church now, but. He um, didn't really make her go. He would say, why, why does she have to go? And you know, so this kind of pulled her in a, another direction. And I saw that. And as I grew up, my mom worked. My mom worked since I was five. So going to school, I remember the teacher asking, how many of your mothers work? Well, I was the only hand up back then. And I thought, wow, that, that's not really good, but when I look back now, it was good. It made me very independent. Um, so as the years rolled on, and Dad would pull away from Mom, he would go to church and just sit there occasionally. 
As the years rolled on, um, Dad started going to church more. And when I was 13, he and I both, I think we, if I can remember right, we went to the altar together. So he was baptized, filled with the Holy Ghost, and he laid down his cigarette several times. <laughs> I remember him hiding them in the garage, and I would watch him hide them. And then when he would disappear away, I would go get them and <laughs> throw them away. So this is how I started. Not so much in a minister's home. A lot of people think all pastors' wives are from ministers' homes. Well, they're not. And he started coming to church. It took him a while to get, you know, it takes a while when you're a babe in the Lord. And I was a teenager, so we kind of grew together. And I guess I was 13 when I realized that, hey, I need God. Um, the young people around me, not so much at that time. It was a different era than it is now. We, you didn't see young people raise their hands. You didn't see them joining in praise teams. We sat on the back row and we were always told to be quiet. But sometimes we weren't. And it was just a different day. Well, the young people were kind of, some of them were into different things and I, it kind of frightened me that, you know, what kind of road are we on? What kind of path are we on? So I gave my heart to the Lord when I was 13 and it's been a wonderful life ever since then. I still know some of the people I grew up with and I'm from Ohio, by the way, I didn't mention that. And I think it's been a really neat thing as I grew up, I went to public school until I was about 13. All of this happened at the same time. And in the Dayton area, we didn't really have a good Christian school. But 30 miles down the road, um, Brother Hathaway has started um, Piqua Apostolic School. And he's had Piqua Apostolic Temple. He wasn't the pastor then, but he is now. So a bunch of us from the Dayton area, and there's like 30 churches in Dayton. So a bunch of us carpooled to school every day, and we did that for three years. And I look back now, and it's caused me to know and to have so many friends and so many contacts. I sat by Jeff Moses in school, not knowing that years later, he was gonna be 40 miles down the highway pastoring a church. So I, what I can say to young people is you better be good as you're growing up because you never know what ties or what, what friends you're making for a later date. So this is what happened to me growing up. Um, also, my dad worked in a factory all those years and it kind of helped me to stay organized. As a pastor's wife, it was molding me into what I needed to be because my mom works, so I would fix supper for dad and keep the house and try to help her the best way I can. And I think I look back and all of these things were molding me, even though I was a skinny, tall, you know, just a, a, a little girl. Actually, I was a tomboy until I was about 12, but um, not knowing that down the road, these are the things that I needed to know how to do and I just thank God for that. Um, like I said, I was baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost in what was used to be Jesus' name Pentecostal Church. Now it's New Life Apostolic, and it has become a really great church with Brother Friend as pastor, and I think that 
Um, it has caused me to have a tie with them, knowing that my grandmother helped start the church. And I look back now and again, I think, look at all these people that have come from there, have come from Pickle Apostolic Temple, that I can say, hey, I know that person, or it's so neat to, to have those ties to different people. Well, I've had several, <laughs> but I'll start with the one when I was the youngest, like, and I'm leading right up to it, but what I just talked to. When, we, when I got about 15 or 16, our carpool was no longer available to carpool to school to Piqua. And um, my mom was not going to send me to public school. She, she just said, you're not going to public school. Well, homeschool is not an option back then. And there was a Baptist school in Dayton and mom said, you know, we don't really have the money to send you there. So we were just praying, um, God, what, what can we do here? I was 16 years old and um, nowhere to go as far as school. And God opened a door. My cousins used to go here to church, Earl Lee and Cindy Lee, and he led the choir for years. And they said I could move down here with them. I moved to Knoxville when I was 16, and previously before that, I had told everyone I was moving to Knoxville before I knew I was, by faith. And the couple years that um, I went to the Christian school in Piqua, I really wanted to move to Knoxville. I didn't tell anybody, but I was fasting and praying about it for since I was 14, actually. But I finally moved down when I was 16, and God just gave me a burden for this city and I look back now and I think all of these things that I went through and all of the things God has showed me over the years I've used in my ministry and I'll give you an example of that I came from a in public school it was extremely diverse because it was a factory town at the time um, we my dad worked at Chrysler and he had a lot of diversity in his work and therefore the schools. I remember my best friend was Jewish, my other best friend was Indian. Um, I had several, you know, it, I didn't think a thing about it. And when I moved down here, my goal, my dream was to have a diverse church. And um, Mark and I shared that same dream and it has come to fruition and it's still it's expanding into different ministries, and I just thank God for that. But I see now that those ties help me to learn. I love to learn about people. I love to learn about their culture. I love to counsel with people, and when they have an issue, I like to find out why they have that issue. What is, what is the reason for it? There's a reason for what everybody goes through and does. There's a reason people react like they do. When you can find that reason, then you can help someone. But back to what I was talking about, um, I think that was my greatest struggle. Um, knowing I had a burden for a city I couldn't get to because I was too young. But finally, when I hit 16, I came here. I started dating Brother Mark. 
and I was, and my parents are past, so I'll tell this, I was engaged secretly. I never told my mom and dad, because they would have pulled me back to Ohio. But we didn't tell anybody for a long time. Then when I graduated, I married him two weeks later. And I told him before I married him, I said, I love evangelists, I love missionaries. I said, but I have starved myself to death. I worked two years to get here, and if you evangelize, I'm not going with you. <laughs> so. He said, as far as I know, I'm staying here. I said, well, okay, then I'll marry you. <laughs> so 40 years later, here we are. We just had our 40th anniversary. But I just thank God for that struggle that led me here. And then um, probably as I go on, another struggle was college, getting through with two children, not missing a service, not missing a special event, and working full time. That was a huge struggle. And I won't go into all that detail, but you can do it. Anybody can do it. Just just put your mind to it. And I was in the bishop's car one day, Bishop McCool, and I was bawling like a baby. I can't do it. I'm done. I just have a few hours left, credit hours, but I can't do it. He turned around. He said, you will get your degree, and you can do it, and we will help you. So, you know, that put, yeah, I can do this. I can do this. So finally, I got my degree, and I look back now, and even Ashley says to me, my daughter, she says, how did you do that? I said, I have no idea. I have no idea how I did that, but I thank God he pulled me through that struggle. Um, again, I think those two things were my biggest struggles. Losing my parents was another struggle. Um, the birth order of my sisters and I, my mom had me late in life. I guess it was late in life then, it's not now, 35-ish. And um, that put my grandparents older, and when I was 13, I lost my last grandmother. So my, grand, my parents were older, so I lost them young. My dad was 70 when he died in 2001. And I sat by him and watched him wither away with Alzheimer's. And I think that was another struggle. You have to come to grips with, you know what? God doesn't heal everybody. He doesn't heal everybody for a reason. And we'll never know the reason until we get to heaven. And for, I guess mom and I and my sisters sat by, I guess, nine years and watched him slowly, slowly, slowly wither away and finally die and watch my mom who had just moved to Knoxville with him, looking forward to their retirement, now she's alone. And watching her in all the ways it broke her health down. And then I lost her in 2013, and I'm gonna to get to that story in a few minutes, but um, seeing her struggle through and battle through not having a husband and all of the struggles she went through again has made me a better person and I thank God for that. Okay, that led right into it was when I was, I had never, as a pastor's wife, I've experienced death and I've experienced people dying while I'm in the room, but not my own mother and father. And I guess watching someone pass like I watched my dad pass, it's almost the opposite of birth. And, you, and you're, 
you're talking to the birth, the woman having a baby, like, come on, you can do it, you know, let's, you know, and, and when someone dies, we were going, it's okay, you can let go, you know, it's kind of the opposite of it. And seeing that and knowing how it affects everyone and, and just the feeling of when the death angel comes in the room and takes your loved one and how it's such a relief when they're saved and they know the Lord, you can feel it. You can feel it go through the room. And I felt it twice because I did the same thing with my mom. But I guess um, those were two God moments when my parents passed. And I was with both of them and I thank God for that and I have no regrets. But that was those were two God moments that have made me the person I am and to thank God every day for life. Um, also talking to the, my staff, another God moment that I thought of a couple years ago, all of those years that I was working to get my degree and working in our Christian school, lots and lots of 20 some odd years, I thought, you know, at the end of that, Mark started pastoring and I was thinking, Lord, I don't know if I can do all this or not. And I started praying, you know, maybe I need to move out of the school and move on to another, another um, way to minister to the people and he was getting me ready to do that, like I said. And I was frustrated and I thought, Lord, I can't do all this. I can't teach high school biology and be in the middle of going over notes or middle of a lab and I have to cancel somebody and go out of the room. You know, I can't do all that. I can't switch from frogs to somebody unhappy in their marriage or whatever. But um, God led me to a place where we could replace me. And I never thought, why did I have to go through that? Well, getting up in a staff meeting, I thought to myself, you know what? I can say, y'all teachers, you need to do this, you need to do that. or or let's, let's look at this and let's do this a little better. Nobody can say, Sister Jamie, you don't know. You don't know what we go through. And I, yes, I do, I've been there. I've been to every one of your situations. I've taught every grade except the third grade. So I thought, you know, God gave me that. He was getting me ready and I didn't know why. I was frustrated. So that's another struggle that I went through. And I think that's different than most people's struggles. Some people struggle with their marriage my place, finding my place was my struggle over the years and, and your place changes. You change roles, you change, you're not always the same kind of minister's wife. You change your role as you go through, especially when you're multi-generational. You know, I've had Sister McCool and then I have two pastor's wives under me who are taking these things off of me and now my role is changing again. But you have to be open to that. You can't want to stay where you're at because your church will never grow. And I just thank God for that struggle. Um, also, again, looking back, I, I thank the Lord for um, our church and how it is a multicultural church, a multi-generational church, a multi-socioeconomic -socio church, um, we have so many different kind of people that can become a struggle or it become a blessing. So what we have to do and what we've learned is not everybody can be treated the same. 
Sometimes you have to study cultures. Sometimes you have to study, again, why people are like they are. What is the culture for this lady having a baby? We had to actually go to someone's house. Um, I believe it was a Kenyan background, African culture. And they, after eight days, we had to proclaim the names of the babies. So we had to study up on that and go to the apartment and, and bless the babies and proclaim their names as a blessing instead of dedicating them. This is what they did. So that is, I'm not gonna say it's become a struggle, but it's become a learning experience through our lives. first thing that comes to my mind is peace. Um, I'm not a controversial person. I don't like drama. And I guess the peace of God that passes all understanding in all situations, no matter what we face, who walks out the door on us, or who walks in the door to greet us, we can have peace knowing it's all in control. Um, for praying for something and uh, the leadership of this church, we've been praying for something for about three years, and it's, a, it's not a problem prayer. It's a blessing prayer that we're needing, and sometimes it's frustrating. God, why aren't you answering this prayer? And I know we're going to look back and think, now I know why you weren't answering it, and I know why you're waiting. It's going to be spectacular. It's going to be something beyond our imagination when you do answer it. So I think that peace that God gives us is the biggest blessing for me. Now, it's going to be different for other people, but I think for me, um, peace of mind, my children, knowing that they're walking in truth, knowing that somehow through all those years we did something right, you know. I always wonder why people who are raising their children ask advice from people who don't know how to raise their children. And I'm like, find someone who has children that are doing what God needs them to do and what, what God has called them to do and ask them advice, you know. And I look back and knock on wood, you know, right now everything's good. My kids are, are worshiping and, and serving the Lord and I thank God for that and I thank God for my family um, my sisters are both in Knoxville and, and we're all together and everybody's healthy as far as I know and I guess that is my peace of mind and what God has given me. That we have a heaven to gain one day we're going to walk on streets of gold and, and all of this will be a blink of the eye and we just have to do our best to serve God each day. and, and um, be the Christian we can be and win souls for Him. Probably my mother, um, for sure, because she held on to God through Dad's little escapades. As he, he knew he needed God, but he still wanted occasional beer, and I've seen Mom pour him down the drain. And he knew he needed God and he knew he shouldn't play poker and do those things. But um, once a week he would have his poker games and mom would object and they would argue and, and you can imagine. But I think that her holding on to God and her holding on to what she knew and raising us the best she could and working a working mother 
during the late 60s and early 70s was um, kind of different for, for me. And knowing she worked to help put us through school and, and doing all of the things she did and loving us. And I guess I got really close to her the last three months of her life. She moved in with me and um, she was always going back home in her mind. But she lived with us and I had a baby monitor in her room and she, she just got to where she was telling us everything because she knew she was dying. And she had cancer, she was losing weight, she was sick, so sick. And I was in the ministry full time trying to run the school and the daycare and going back and forth a hundred times a day to see about her. And, but she would say, um, Mark and Jamie, get in here. Get in here, I gotta tell you something. You could hear on the monitor. We'd be in the middle of something. We'd run in there, I just wanna tell you all this, and she'd spill the beans. I said, I'll take all this stuff to my grave. <laughs> but she'd tell us testimonies, and she'd tell us, I wanted to let you know this, and, and I want people to know, they don't know how hard y'all work. They don't know how many times this phone's ringing, and on and on and on. But I think that all of those things, and I wrote an article for the Apostolic Witness after she died. She'd say, oh, and we'd be walking out, and she'd go, one more thing, one more thing. But I think that I drew closer to her then, I know I did. And um, seeing her hold on till the end, hold on to the end. I mean, she was praying and, and seeking God the last days of her life. And um, there were some funny times. I would try to sing to her and she'd go, no, don't sing. I was like, okay, I will sing. And then she'd call out for her sisters in the middle of the night that have already gone on to the Lord. And, I'd say, Mom, I'm not your, your sister, and she just then she'd start laughing. But I think all of these things have drawn me closer to her. She is probably the greatest influence, my sisters as well. They were older than me, so I stayed with them a lot um, growing up. And they were more like, somebody said, did you fight? And I'm like, no, they were more like second moms. So they've been an influence on me. Um, Sister McCool, of course, and all her social graces and how she sets a table. I learned how to set a table from her and how do you decorate for a banquet and how do you, how do you um, talk to church people and how you love people no matter what. I learned from her. And then my two girls, my two pastors' wives, my daughter and daughter-in-law, I'm learning a lot from them. I'm still learning. I learn every day. I learned from Easton, my seven-year-old, six-year-old grandbaby who wonders why I'm wearing those shoes with that dress. I learned from her. She's very outspoken. And like I said, each generation is different. You can't get stuck being a minister's wife in a certain generation. You'll never grow. You just won't grow. There are things I don't know how to do. And I'm going to say, if you can do it better, or you can take this time off of me, do it. We can't micromanage everything. And I think the girls have done that, so I have several influences, my mom being the greatest, and then Sister McCool and my daughter-in-law and daughter being the next. Um, and I think each one of them have added a different, a different, um, I don't know, aspect to a female influence. 
because they're all different. Ashley's very outspoken. She's taught me don't hold everything back. Kelly's very loving and, and um, I guess she, we always say Kelly's moments, but she sees the good in everything and she sees how things are fun. Take, have fun while you're doing what you're doing. So I think all of those people are the greatest influences in my life. My husband's not a woman, but he's taught me a lot as well because he's always happy and always, there's always a way to get it. There's always a way to do it. Let's find it and do it, so. I guess um, to always be aware of what you are doing and how it affects other people now and 20 years from now. Um, someone you're dating in the church, they're not going away in 20 years. Your, your kids and their kids might be best friends and you'll have to face that person. In a Christian school, you don't have a 10-year reunion, you have a next Sunday reunion. <laughs> You're back seeing them again. All these people are in your life forever. And if you ruin your reputation, it's hard to get it back. So that's one thing. Another one is don't worry about criticism. Most of the time, look at the person giving it and go, well, I always say, if Ralph Lauren tells me he don't like what I have on, I might listen. But if Jojo walking down the street tells me he don't like what I have on, I probably won't listen. So it depends on who it is. It depends on their expertise. It, take advice from people who know what they're talking about. Um, see if it fits your needs. Again, you have to take advice, so think about it and be honest with yourself, and that's my biggest one. Be honest with yourself in all situations, no matter your age. I think a lot of people get caught in, a lot of women my age get caught in this era of, I'm gonna do it, it's gonna be this way, and we're not gonna change. You're not being honest with yourself. If there's someone else that can do it better, with technology, what we were talking about earlier, let them do it. Take it off yourself. Be honest. Um, avoid drama. Avoid it. Try to find a way to replace it with prayer if you have to. But again, be honest in everything you do. Look at yourself. Look at what you can do. Push yourself to do more. But don't get stuck in an era of of just thinking that you have to do everything because you do not have to do everything. Stay in your lane. Don't get in someone else's lane. Um, again, to young people as well, find your niche and work on it. And if it's with God and if it's God's will, He'll develop it. So I think other than winning souls to the kingdom, this, this will help you win souls. Um, I see so many women who age, and that's where I'm at right now, hold on to something that really God needs them to move on from. Um, because sometimes it becomes their identity, and that's not good. Um, I think some need to move on and let others, who can do it more efficiently actually, and 
go on to something else in your life, your ministry changes, like I said. I think that is my advice to the young people is to find your niche, don't have drama, um, work on what God wants you to do, and don't compare with other people. Okay, be honest with yourself in all situations. Again, um, I think, and I'll, I'll get to my scripture in a minute, but there's one thing, 1 Corinthians 10.23, not everything is black and white of what's wrong and what's right, but I think social media has, and I'm not even talking about the bad things that are on social media, it's opened a door for people to be pretentious about things that I don't think God is pleased with. And I'll read the scripture. All things are lawful, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful, but they don't edify. Um, expedient means suitable for achieving a particular end, governed by self-interest. Um, and God gave me this. Would I walk up to a person in my church who's struggling um, they've just lost their job and have to work 60 hours a week and say, look where we've been, look on my phone, look where we've been, look where I've been here and I've been there, which is fine, post your vacations. I'm not saying not to. I'm just saying keep that in the back of your mind. It's the same thing because they're looking at it. And as a minister's wife, and if you don't hold this, you know, if you don't hold this as something that you want to do, that's fine. I'm not posting it. First of all, it causes me to be a target. And second of all, I don't want to be a target. I want to do everything I can to win someone to the Lord. Um, modest, it says to be modest, okay? Modest defined as placing a moderate estimate on one's ability or worth to be unpretentious, not bold, not expensive, avoiding extremes. I just think as young people and older people, we need to be careful of what we post. We're trying to win all socioeconomic groups in our church. We're trying to win multicultural. Um, we can't draw them when they think they can't come because they don't have the right purse or they don't have money and they don't see, they don't see us on there as we really are. We don't get a new purse every day or whatever, but just I think in the back of our mind before we post something, Philippians 4 or 5 tells us to let our moderation be known unto all men. So if I'm trying to win the man down the street or the woman down the street or the one who just lost their job, Am I edifying them or am I stopping them from coming to my church? 1 Corinthians 9.22 says, Be all things to all men. To the weak, I'm weak. I'm going to go cry with them at the altar that I might all means save some. If I'm posting everything I have and all of these things, I'm not being what I need to be to that person. We can't treat every church member the same. We can't treat every culture the same. There is a different way to minister to each and every generation, each and every culture. We have to stay focused on that because sometimes I think we get in this 
I'll call it an apostolic niche, that we're all the same, and it's okay if I post this because it's just the church people that are going to see it, and that's not true. 2 Corinthians 6.3 and 4, I love this verse, giving no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed, but in all things approving ourselves as ministers of God. So I want to never cause, I, I heard one man say, I could never go to that particular church. And the lady asked why, and they said, he said, I don't have, I don't have what I, I don't have the money to walk in those doors. And I was going, Lord, that's awful. Where did he see that? How does he know that if he's never been there? So this is something God has laid on my heart to talk to people about. When we built this church, Brother Mark and I said, it needs to be a beacon. It needs to be um, something that people are comfortable in. All people, all races, all genders, that they can walk in the door, get a cup of coffee, and be comfortable. And people are friendly, big restrooms, where they can take, we can have a children's ministry, take their babies, help them to be what they need to be. That's what it's all about. And God has put a burden in Brother Mark and I's heart for that to make it easy for people to serve the Lord. And, and, and then the other side of that, posting these things, this is not our real life, you know. People, but people don't realize that. They think, you know, that's all they ever do is go on vacation or whatever. And I even tell Ashley and Kelly, I said, watch what you post. It's okay to post. That's fine. Your kids in, in the beach or whatever. I said, but just be careful. Just be careful. Think about if I wasn't in church and I'm seeing this, how would it affect me? How would it affect that home missions pastor who's barely getting by? How would it affect a family who's struggling? Um, again, Proverbs 3, 4, so shall thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and men. Men have to understand you before they step foot in your church. So that is, that is a burden that's been laid on my heart. It's so heavy and I, I don't want to go overboard with it because I know people like to post things. But if we are going to gain favor with a lost world, we have to get in their mind and see what they're perceiving of us. What is their perception of me, you know? What do you think about me? And I am not, when I first started this, I couldn't go up to shake anybody's hand. My head was down and I was walking in the door with no self-esteem. And I have to think now, I need to go over there after church and shake their hand. I'll write it down, go shake their hand so I won't forget. But do whatever you have to do to make people feel welcome. We have a lost world to win, and we can't win them if they don't come to church in the first place. So 